0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. And I felt the Lord just, you know, kind of impress upon my heart to, to open up a passage of Scripture that maybe we're familiar with, maybe we're not. But I want us to talk for the next several weeks about the parables that Jesus spoke. Amen? The parables that Jesus spoke to us in his word. And how many of you know, uh, you know, what what are the parables? Anybody want to just shout out a definition of a parable? Does anybody know what a parable is? It's a story. Yeah, yeah. DJ is like, small stories but the big truth. Yeah, you could define it exactly like that. They are short illustrations and short stories that Jesus gave to illustrate truth to people that did not know it and also to people that weren't even really seeking it. Amen? They were stories that he used uh, in a way to be able to reveal hidden truth, to be able to reveal, you know, the truth and the ways of God and be able to reveal, you know, who it was that that God is and, and reveal the nature of heaven and the kingdom of heaven. And so we find in Scripture that Jesus spoke a lot in parables. And so if you've ever read the word and you've ever kind of been lost and it kind of went over your head, has that ever happened to you? (laughs) I'm not the only one, amen? Am I the only one? Oh, my gosh. All right, you know, you've ever read the word and sometimes you read something and it's kind of like, what did he mean by that? What was he saying? What was he trying to, what was the point that he was trying to express to us? What, What was it that the Lord was wanting us to know? How many of you know that a parable is almost like a code? (laughs) It's a code because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals all truth. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals all truth. That means that you can tell a parable to an unbelieving person and it'll go right over their head. And so Jesus, when he spoke, a lot of times he would share parables because there would be people that were truly seeking truth and truly seeking after him and truly seeking his kingdom. And guess what? They would be able to understand the truth. But it would go over certain individuals' heads and minds and hearts because their hearts were callous and they weren't truly seeking him. They weren't truly those that were longing to be around Jesus and to to be near him. And so he taught in parables, and there was a lot of people who heard him that didn't get it. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you open up to Matthew chapter 13, and I'll give you, you know, some scriptures in a, in a minute. But just open your Bible there and just place your hand there. And So we're going to look at the parable of the, soil, of the sower and the soils. And, you know, this scripture is very telling. It, it shares so many things with us. But that parable of the the sower and the soils tells why many don't get it, but some do. It actually reveals to us deeper truth that the Lord wants us to understand. And the important difference between those who do and those who don't isn't the soil or the seed. That's not the difference. The difference is in the harvest. The difference is in the harvest. The difference is what happens after you hear it. When Jesus delivers the word and when the word is spoken, when Jesus would speak from the kingdom and speak revealing truth about God and his kingdom and he would reveal it to us, he would speak it in such a way that there would be a purpose behind it. And so I want us to read this parable in Matthew 13 in verse 3. Then he told them many things in the parables saying, Verse 7, other seed fell amongst the thorns which grew up and choked the plants and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Verse 9, he who has ears let him hear. Let's pray tonight. Holy Spirit, we just ask that every ear would be open, every heart would be open to receive of your truth, God, and your truth alone, Lord. Father, let, Lord, every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, just be led by you, Holy Spirit, and let your word, O oh God, reveal to us, God, the truth of who you are, the truth of your kingdom, O oh God. And, Father, if there's anything, God, that the enemy would try to use in this moment, God, to, to hinder us, God, then, Father, we just lay all things down to focus on you and to hear from you tonight, Lord Jesus. We are your disciples, Lord. Teach us in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen and amen. So we see Jesus. He reveals this glorious story, this glorious truth to us. And he's showing us some very important keys. Now, I'm going to spoil the ending for you. So let's skip to the end really quick. Matthew 13 and verse 18. And there's a reason I'm doing this, but let's get into it. Verse 18, so listen then to what the parable of the sower means. So, you know, Jesus is not going to leave anything out of the word. You know, he's always going to tell us. You know, if if you haven't found the answer, keep searching the word. Amen? Because it's there. So verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now, I want to stop there just for a second. Because a lot of times we deliver the word. We, pastor will preach a message on a Sunday. I'll preach a message to you on a Wednesday. You'll hear the word. You'll wake up. You'll read the word. You know, you'll listen to your devotional and you'll, you'll, you'll listen. But listen, it's in that place where we don't understand it that the enemy comes to snatch the seed away. Something that you must always pray for every time you open the word is for understanding. Amen. You must pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to you. Now the reason that this is important and this is vital is because when you eat a meal, normally you don't have to tell your body what to do with the meal that you ate. Right? Your body knows what to do with what you ate. Your body's going to receive the bread, the food, the nourishment, and it's going to just do what it does. But as a believer, it is important for us that every time we read the word and open the word, we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is the revealer of all truth. He is the one that is going to unlock the mystery for your life that is found in the word of God. So we pray and we ask the Lord to unlock our ears to allow us to hear what truth it is that he is sharing with us. I'll read it again. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So it is important for us every time we hear the word of God to pray. Ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, reveal your truth to me. Reveal your truth to me so that I receive it. If you've ever noticed, and it's not without purpose, but every time, you know, I'm privileged to be able to pray and close the service, right? And one of the things that I always pray for is that that the word of God would take root in our hearts. Amen? You ever notice how I pray that? Does does anybody here listen to what I pray (laughs) or what I say? (laughs) Some of y'all were just like giving me a blank stare for a second. Go back and watch the live stream and, and you'll hear that I'll usually pray for that. Why? The reason I pray for that is so that what? There is an attachment of the word to your heart. Because the first thing that the enemy wants to do after you have heard the word is take it away. The first thing that the enemy is after is that thing germinating and taking root in your heart. So we've always got to pray. We've always got to ask the Lord Jesus, Lord, as I've received your truth and your word, God, even if any area, God, that I do not understand or know, Lord, Lord, just attach it to my heart, Lord. Attach it, Lord, that it might take root in my life, that it might take root in my soul. He goes on to say, this is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root. Now, let me stop. Is there area for a seed to take root in a rocky place? No. It's just going to sit on the rock, right? There's nowhere for that seed to go. How many of you understand the basics of like putting a seed in dirt? Amen. I just, some of you guys are giving me a blank stare so I'm just making sure right what happens the seed goes in the dirt what happens you cover it you cover it with dirt you water it and what happens boom starts to grow right so here it says this the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once he receives it with joy but since he has no root it only lasts a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word he quickly falls away So the individual will fall away because, listen, that, that word has fallen on a hardened heart. It's fallen on a place where they have not opened their heart to receive the truth. They have not opened their heart to receive of the word. It goes on to say this, verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell amongst the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, how many of you have ever worried I mean, we all worry at something, right? We all have worries. We all have concerns. We all have burdens. Sometimes it's things that, you know, we're thinking of that we're going, man, you know, you know this, this just happened in my life. And that just happened. And, and you worry. You, 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 you're, it causes a division in your heart. Did you know that? That's what worry does. It actually takes you from a place of having faith. And it actually places your attention on the situation rather than placing your attention on God. Worry will remove you from a place of faith because now the enemy has your attention. What does Proverbs 3 verse 5 say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That leaves no room for anything else to have the attention of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? He will direct your path. So here the scripture is saying this. The one who received the, the, the seed that fell amongst the thorn is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the second thing is the deceitfulness of wealth. Did you know that wealth is deceiving? There's people every day that are trying to generate wealth and earn wealth and better their careers and earn money. But guess what? It will not save your soul and it will never quench the thirst that Jesus has placed in your life. Only Jesus will quench the thirst of your heart and your soul. Only Jesus. But there's people that get greedy. They get a little money hungry. They get, you know, a little bit. And the scripture talks about them in the book of Proverbs that they are like people that when they get it, they never get enough. It's an unsatisfied stomach. Imagine if you could eat and eat and eat and never be satisfied. This is what the person that lusts after money and wealth and greed, this is what happens. They they get some, but they never have enough. They're never full. They're never satisfied. It's a deceitful way. And it says this, it chokes the seed and it makes it unfruitful. Anybody know what the word choke means? (laughs) It's a strangulation of the ability of the seed to do its job. Think about that. When we worry, when we place our attention on anything else but Jesus, it strangles the seed of the word of God that the Lord has planted in your life. So when you come back looking for the word and when you come back looking for a harvest and you come back all of a sudden to your senses, to a place of faith, there's nothing that remains. Because that which you once worried about choked out the seed that was left there. Did you know that complaining will most often abort the seeds of the kingdom in your heart and in your life? If you complain about it more than you pray about it, then there's a big issue. I said this to somebody the other day, but guess what? But Bible says that He is enthroned upon our what? Everybody say it. Praises. He is enthroned upon our praises. But what happens if you complain? Who's enthroned? It's not Jesus. It's the enemy. You give him a place because all of a sudden your praise has been replaced with complaining. Let's keep on going. Are you learning something tonight? Amen. 23, verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and what? Understands it. He hears the word and he understands the word. And it says this he produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, I want us to just go back in time for a second, and I want to kind of give you the background of everything that's happening here just for a minute. The Apostle Matthew, he likes to refer to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven. So if you've ever read the book of Matthew, you'll hear him you know, explain about the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven, but those terms are interchangeable. That means that they're, they're one and the same. But whichever term that we use, we are encountering a dramatic turning point in the ministry of the life of Jesus. So up until this point, Jesus had never really shared parables as much as he was about to. Okay, and so in Matthew 1 and 2, we see the story and it covers the birth of who Jesus is, amen? The genealogy of the Lord. In chapter 3, it talks about John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. In chapter 4, it talks about his temptation in the wilderness and the calling of the first disciples. In Matthew 5 through 7, it's the Sermon on the Mountain and it's Jesus sharing truth. In chapter 8 and 9, we start to see healing plus the calling of Matthew. In chapter 10 and and chapter 12, we see the sending out of the 12 disciples. In chapter 11, they're praising John the Baptist and they're praying to the Father. In chapter 12, there's the Sabbath and there's different teachings that the Lord is sharing. And then finally, when we get here to chapter 13, this is the beginning of parables with five different parables. And so Matthew has a really logical progression. Matthew is taking us through the life of Jesus as it is happening and as it's going on. Amen? Now, when I read the word, and, I, and I'm giving you a lot, but when I read the word, it's important for me to understand the events in which they happen. Amen? If you don't understand the events in which they're happening and the purpose why, then you can miss so much truth that God wants you to know. You can miss things that the Lord is, is wanting to reveal to your life. And so Matthew goes and he takes us all the way to this place. He gets us to this point where he's presenting now the ministry of Jesus as different than anything that the Jews had seen up until this point. And so up until chapter 13, Jesus has been very careful not to proclaim his mission or allow others to do so. So if you've read the previous chapters, there was healings that happened. And when he healed them, he sent people back home and he urged them not to speak about him. Have you read that before? Yes. Have you read your Bible? Okay. Amen. There we go. Y'all should see what I see some days. It's, it's amazing. Some of, the, some of the appearances and the faces that are looking at me are awesome. Praise Jesus. So to this point, now we've reached a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Now he begins to address crowds in parables. And he starts here with the parable of the sower, which others also call the parable of the four soils. Amen. And so I want us to look at what's going on and set this up so that we can understand the deep truth that the Lord has for us. So up until this point, Jesus is not having a good moment and he's not having a good day. Matthew 12 explains this. And so this setting of the context of this is possibly on the Sabbath or the day after the Sabbath. And so in chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples, they had not one, but they had four run-ins with the Pharisees. That is, they had four different, you know, engagements where they crossed paths with the Pharisees. Now, I want us to understand, does, does everyone know who the Pharisees are? Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were people that were bent on creating a religion that was so difficult that people could actually not see the Messiah. Jesus was right in front of them and yet they could not identify him. They could not recognize him. They did not even know that he was present or he was there. They were those that wanted control over the government of God. They wanted control over the the temple of God and and they distorted it and they manipulated it and they changed things to work and operate in their favor. And the Bible says, I believe it's in Matthew 24, that they would tie cumbersome loads, burdensome loads that they would place upon the people. That means that they would make the people jump through a million hoops before they got to Jesus. That's what religion will do to your life. It will choke up your life and it will make you have to do everything, everything, everything perfect before you get to Jesus. And how many of you know that we would never succeed in religion? I just mentioned it a second ago. If it was not for the grace and the glory of Jesus who forgives us daily even after we have failed him, then my friend, we would be hopeless. We would be completely hopeless and without hope because Jesus is our salvation. Amen. Jesus is the one who has brought us near. Jesus is the one who has made it even possible for us to have a relationship with God. How many of you could say amen tonight? But the disciples and Jesus have four run-ins with the religious leaders. And so first Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. And guess what? The disciples get hungry. Now they're walking through this grain field and they begin to pluck the heads of the grain and they began to eat. And so it's kind of like New Testament granola. You know, they're, they're walking through a wheat field and they're plucking the heads of the wheat and they're starting to snack on that wheat. And so the Pharisees see what they're doing and guess what they do? They accuse the disciples of breaking the Sabbath. That meant that they were supposed to fast. And so they accuse the disciples of breaking the Sabbath. And so Jesus has a reply and he says this, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Anytime the religious leaders had something to say to Jesus, Jesus often had a truth to reveal to them. The next thing that we see is here is that Jesus goes to a synagogue on the same day and there is a man with a withered hand. And Jesus is in the temple and he sees this man with the withered hand. And no doubt it might have happened from a stroke or some kind of palsy or something like that. But the Pharisees try that Sabbath breaking bait with Jesus again. And they ask Jesus again, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That means, are you able to heal on the Sabbath or is it illegal? Is it against the law? And Jesus, you know, their implied answer is no. They are saying, Jesus, you are not supposed to do that. But Jesus gives his own answer by healing the man's hand. Right? So we see Jesus is doing miracle after miracle. Then Jesus leaves the synagogue and now he's followed by a large crowd. And there's somebody in the crowd that pushes forward a man who is blind. And he's mute because he is possessed by a demon. So they bring this man to Jesus, and guess what Jesus does? He heals him also. Isn't Jesus good? Isn't he awesome? He brings him to Jesus, and guess what he does? He heals him as well, but he warns those in the crowd to not make him known, to not give him away. And then the Pharisees, here's the deal. The Pharisees are those who are spiritually blind. They are spiritually blind and they're spiritually deaf. They accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the chief demon named Beelzebub. And Jesus answers by saying, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why did Jesus say this? Because he is referring to the fact that if they acknowledged him driving out the demons by God's power, then they too would have salvation. Salvation comes by what Jesus has done and our acknowledgement of it, amen? Salvation and deliverance come into your life when you understand that Jesus is the only answer. When you understand that he is the one who reigns supreme, he is the only one that you could ever turn to. It doesn't matter what the situation is, Jesus reigns above all things, amen? And if this isn't enough, guess what happens next? Jesus' mother and brothers, they show up. And they're wanting to kind of pull him away from the crowd. And they want to take him home because there was a lot of trouble and there was a lot of things that were stirring up. And in Matthew 12 and 50, Jesus says this, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. And what is Jesus alluding to? He's making this thing a lot deeper. He's not saying those that just go to the temple every day are my brother and sister and mother. And He's not saying that. He's saying when the kingdom of God comes upon your life and it comes into your heart, it's those who do the will of my father that are my brothers and sisters. Did you know, church, that there's an accountability that must happen in our life to live out God's will for your life? Amen. We cannot think that we can just come to the house of God and think that, you know what, this is all about me. It's all about what I'm going to get from God. It's all about me praying to God. It's all about God delivering me, God handling my business, God healing me, God transforming me. Listen, it always starts with Jesus. And the byproduct of being with Jesus is your life will be transformed and you will be changed in his likeness. When you walk with Jesus, you will look like Jesus. But if you never walk with Jesus, my friend, the world will never see you. They'll never see Christ in your life. There is an accountability that the Lord is giving us. And he's saying, whoever does my will, the will of the Father, they are my brothers and my sisters. Jesus instead, in this moment, instead of getting infuriated, instead of getting frustrated by the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he decides to change the strategy. And This is where we catch up in Matthew 13. Chapter 13 opens with these words, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. So we see that all of this stuff is going on. All of this chaos is happening in the life of Jesus. And he sits by the sea. I believe that, you know, he needed a break he had been defending himself and his disciple and his and his ministry all day long and in any event something changes in Jesus and so there is a large crowd there's a large crowd that gathers around him while he is seated on the seashore he's in this boat and he gets into this boat he gets in with just enough water between him and the crowd on the shore but close enough so that they can hear his teaching. And so this time, Jesus begins to tell the story. Now, whatever the motivation is for Jesus doing this in this setting begins and marks the beginning of a brand new chapter in the ministry of Jesus. And I want us to see why the need for change. And and I want us to understand why this shift was important. But before I tell you that, I believe that the Lord is marking this ministry in a season for change. God is about to do something so incredible. But guess what? He needs us to understand why. He needs us to understand the purpose behind it. He needs us to get it, and he needs us to understand that there must be a shift in our heart and a transformation in our life to understand that the Lord is about to do in a new way something in this ministry and in this church. I'm glad that many of you showed up tonight because this was not an accident. God has a word for us, church, and the Lord wants us to understand the purpose of which we come to this house for, the purpose of which you open the word for. The purpose of which you have been saved and delivered and rescued from sin for. It's so much bigger than being here just on a Wednesday night. So I want us to get into this scripture again, Matthew 13 and verse 10. So the disciples come to him and they ask, why do you speak to people in parables? And he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them. Did you catch it? There's people that will not understand what Jesus is saying, but there's some who do. There's some who are sitting here right now with their hearts open and their ears open and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to them, and you are the ones who are receiving the word. You are the ones who are receiving truth. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Who's, who's the you? The disciples. It was been given to the disciples. They were the ones that sat at the feet of Jesus. They were the ones that walked every single day with him. They were in his life and in his ministry. Verse 12, whoever, ha- whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. So let's read it one more time. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. He says, for I tell you the truth, many prophets and many righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So we see here that Jesus, he has his conscious decision to stop speaking so that the Pharisees would now at this moment choose to pick a fight with him. And so now in this moment, instead of allowing the Pharisees to mess with him, he speaks in a language that only those that want to hear can hear. Only those that are willing to sit at his feet and do his will and follow him wherever he would go, only they are going to be able to hear this message. So right now, those who oppose him and those who are against him, it's like, they're going like, what is he saying? And the disciples, those who are sitting at the feet of Jesus, they're receiving it. They're receiving this truth. And so he speaks in parables, and and some people have called these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And so it's not that God does not want the Pharisees or other doubters of Jesus to hear and understand. It's the result of their hardened heart. It's not that Jesus is wanting, you know, a particular group of people to not hear the gospel or to not know the truth. But it's the hardness of their heart. It's their decision to not look at Jesus for who he is that closes their heart. They can no longer receive truth because guess what? Their heart is hardened by bitterness, it's callous, it's, it's angry, it's, their ears are closed, their bl- eyes are blind in a spiritual sense because they don't get it and they don't want to get it. Now it's interesting that this very manifestation of physically blind eyes opening and deaf ears that were opening when Jesus was healing people, it won't be enough for some people to see Jesus because their blindness is because their refusal to acknowledge him as Lord. See, their blindness was one that they allowed to happen because they refused to acknowledge him as Christ. It's a religious veil called self-righteousness. How many of you know what self-righteousness is? That means that you think that through your own works, you're justified by God. And the Bible says that through the prophet Isaiah, our works are as filthy rags to the Lord. The best thing that you could ever do for God in the most pure way that we feel is possible is still like a filthy rag to God. What does that mean? Does that mean that God does not accept things from sinners? You're absolutely right. He accepts sacrifice from those who are covered in the blood of his son. He receives truth. He receives worship. He receives our offerings. He receives our service by those who are marked in the blood of Jesus. And by those who would live their life to do what? The will of the Father. These are those who are known by him and those who will receive Jesus. But there is a veil called self-righteousness that the enemy uses to cause a spiritual blindness. And so going back to this parable, I want us to keep this in mind because as we get back to this story, there's the sower The seed and the soils. And so there's three elements here, and I want us to break them down. The sower goes out to sow seed. That means that he is planting seed in anticipation of a harvest. Who's a sower? You could could call a sower like a farmer, right? What do farmers do? They plant seed. They put seed in the ground. What's the purpose of putting seed in the ground so that one day they would... Get, get, a, get a harvest, right? So that the crops would grow. And so the sower goes out with the intention to, to, to sow seed. And so they're sowing things like grain or wheat. And they, they do just like, you know, uh, just like the disciples did. And so the point and the purpose of this is whatever the sower is sowing, whatever seed they have, they are broadcasting the seed everywhere. So they're not just going, whoop like just one and then hoping it sticks. Every single day, the sower is going out, and he's sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed. I planted three things recently in uh, these little flower pots that I have in my house. I planted cilantro, because we live in the valley, right? Like, of course, we need cilantro. Everybody's like, amen. I don't have that much, and it looks like it might be dying, but that's another story. <laughs> I planted tomatoes. They're looking fantastic they're starting to like the plant is growing and it looks really nice and I also planted jalapenos and guess what nada the jalapeno is like you know hiding in the dirt I have no idea where he is you know but I threw a bunch of seed in each one of these pots and it's incredible to me because they all have the exact same environment to grow in right Every pot had the same type of soil, gets the same water every single day. They get the same amount of shade and sunlight because I have them in a particular place, you know, in my back patio. And so they're all getting the same thing. But it's interesting to me that two of the plants or, or one of the plants is thriving. One of them looks like it's suffering and the other one's like non-existent. I'm like, bro, what happened to the jalapenos? I wanted to eat one by now, you know. I was banking on having a jalapeno for my meal tonight and it's not there. What a depressing thing, right? Imagine sowing seed and then not yielding anything from that seed because you didn't sow it in faith. See, this happens to us where we actually get spiritually bankrupt in certain ways because we never sowed into the kingdom like God asked us to in the first place. Now's a good time to say amen. What do I mean by that? That means that every single day you are either sowing or you're keeping and when you keep, you don't reap. When you withhold what God has given you to sow, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be the gospel. It could be blessing in somebody's life. It could be financial. It doesn't matter what the seed is that God is asking you to sow. What you keep, you will never reap from, my friend. And it's a dangerous thing to withhold the, thing that, the very thing that God has asked us to give. It's a dangerous thing to withhold the very thing that the Lord is wanting you to sow into the life of somebody. And so I want us to get into this and understand who the sower is in this story. It's very important. Number one, the sower himself in this story is Jesus. The sower is Jesus Now, we don't get that from this parable, but we get that because Jesus gives us this answer in the parable of the weeds. In Matthew 13 and verse 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. There's a lot of people that have, you know, questions and they get confused sometimes when they read the word. And they say, well, you know what, I don't know what what, what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Have you read the word? I don't know who, who, what this even means. Have you read just a few verses later? The answer is right there. Amen. It wasn't challenging. It wasn't difficult. It's even in the same chapter. But Jesus was sowing the word of the kingdom into every place that he went. This is why Jesus' ministry was incredibly fruitful and incredibly blessed by his father. Number one, because he lived in a place of abandonment to the will of his father and he asked the Lord for empowerment to do the work. And did you know that a lot of times we ask for the empowerment of God, we ask the Lord, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on me, God. Do all these things, oh God. And it's like we want our gas tank to be so full but we never turn on the car and we never go anywhere with the gas that God has given us with the very fuel from heaven. Do you think God's going to continue pouring gas into your life so that it spills over all over the ground if you do nothing with it? No, he's expecting and he's anticipating that we would take the very thing that he has given us and the very treasure that we have in Christ and we would take it and we would sow it. Because guess what? The kingdom of God is a kingdom church that is of abundance. It never runs out. It never runs out. That means every single day you could tell somebody about Jesus and tomorrow somebody will still need to be told. Every single day you could be, you know, ministering and you could be giving away things and helping people and blessing people and praying for people and sowing and sowing and sowing. And guess what? Tomorrow there's still going to be needs that need to be met. Jesus was sowing the word of the kingdom into every place that he went. And I want us to understand something tonight. I challenge you, church, sow the kingdom of God wherever you go. Because if you fail to not sow the kingdom, then guess what? That kingdom will override yours because you've done nothing with the one that you have. Sometimes we want to be this this great witness and this great person for God. And we want to do all these things, but we will not even stand in the own room that God has placed us in to tell others about him. We go from job to job. We go from workplace to workplace. We go from, you know, circles of people to other relationships. And guess what? Our mouth is closed and we say, oh, I wonder why God doesn't bless me. I wonder why God doesn't do this in my life. I wonder why God doesn't do that in your life. Jesus was about the Father's business. And my question to us tonight is, are we about the Father's business? Or are we about our own? The main characteristics that we need to note about the sower of Jesus is this, is that he is generous. How many of you know Jesus to be generous in your life? Amen. Jesus is very generous. I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I don't deserve the mercy that is already going to be given to me tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that, to me, that's generosity. That he would keep giving, knowing that I would keep failing. That he would keep showing me grace, even though I would fail to hear his word and learn. Think of Jesus' generosity. Understand it from this perspective. When did he not heal? The kingdom is generous. When did Jesus not address somebody's situation? When was Jesus not compassionate? When did Jesus choose? Think about that. I say this because I believe you will understand this. A lot of times we might be approached by people that have need. How many of you have ever been approached by somebody that has a need? Right? And oftentimes our answer to that need is we presume or we assume what it is that they might be asking us for. And we withhold because we think they're going to do something else with it. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever withhold when you came to him and you asked him for something? Was Jesus ever in a place or in a a certain way that he dealt with you where he said, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to heal you. No, he's never been that way with us. He's never been that way with us. He's always been generous. He's always been able to do, and I, and, I, and I beg the question, I'm okay with using discernment. But listen, it's important for us to understand the scripture even teaches that sometimes we are entertaining angels. That means that the Lord will even allow you to experience something from somebody in this world and in this life to test you. To see where your heart truly is. To see, oh, is there a camera on me so that I can perform this good deed for my friend? Oh, now I'm preaching, right? (laughs) Or am I going to do it when nobody's looking but my Father? Am I going to bless on somebody? Am I going to pray for somebody? Am I going to lead them to Jesus? Am I going to share the gospel? Am I going to go out of my way to do something for somebody that will do nothing back for me? Because that's what the gospel looks like. That's what unconditional love looks like. There's no condition attached to it. It's not, hey, I'm going to help you push your car up this hill if you help me push mine. Imagine if that was the way the kingdom worked. Whew, we'd all be tired and our backs would hurt. I'll, I'll share this story now. I don't have too much more time. A few weeks ago, we went out in our sent ministry, and, and uh, raise your hand if you guys got to go out with us, those of you who, who went, yes. Just look around the room, there's, there's several people that got to go, and, and we went here in McAllen, praise God for them real quick, praise God, praise God, praise God. We went out in our sent ministry, and there was about 15 or 16 of us, and we were doing what we are calling training and activating our faith. What does that mean? That means that every person that came was enabled to know how to share their testimony, share the faith, share the gospel, number one. And two, they actually activated their faith by going out and doing it. There's a big difference, right? It's one thing to have listen to messages and sermons week after week and and hear scripture and, and you know, learn about Jesus. But it's a whole nother thing that when we actually go out of our way to what? Tell somebody, right? So we go and we go out to this place and we, we go to McAllen and there's this family there and they're from Romania and they are, they are uh, a family of, of five. There's two sons. They were like six, eight, and the daughter I think was like 12 years old and there's a husband and a wife. And this family, they've traveled from Romania to California, from California to Florida and from Florida to Texas, all for one thing, they were seeking the healing for his wife. His wife was a type 2 diabetic. You know, her name's Ramona. She's a type 2 diabetic and she was struggling in her life and in her health so much that this man literally like brought her from the other side of the world to just find care for her. And it was so powerful because many of us got to pray over her and we got to minister to the family. We got to bless on them with money and we got to, they even, you know, blessed on them with food. And, and we ministered to them for a few days. Well, I got a text a few days ago, I think on Monday, and uh, I get this text, and it's from Bobby, who's the, who's the father, who's the man, and Bobby texts me, and he says, Pastor Duke, you know, I have to let you know some news about my wife. He said, we went to the doctor. So we went to the doctor, and he said, my wife is now fine. And I said, hang on a second. (laughs) What do you mean by fine? And I asked him specifically. I said, what are you telling me, Bobby? I said, is your wife healed? Is she completely healed? Is the diabetes gone? He says, she's healed. She's healed. She's healed. She's healed. Come on, glorify him. Glorify him. Glorify him. Glorify him. This is about Jesus. Jesus. And when I, when I read that testimony, I was, I was at a store. I think I was at Junior's, you know, buying something for my wife. And I read this testimony, and I'm like looking at my phone, and I'm like, no way. How many of you know that the Lord is so generous, church, that he'll do things even to spur your faith? Even do things that that cause you to be in awe of who he is. That cause you to say, Whoa, what just happened? She's healed? Like she's healed. Not just like, Oh, she feels better, you know. No, no, no. She's healed. And he, and he was beginning to thank God. He was texting me, and he was thanking God, thanking God, thanking God. And I was blown away. I was like, oh, my Lord, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I just began to worship, and I began to just be excited in my heart. Because listen, if you learn anything from everything that was said right now, learn this. Somebody is one seed away from having the kingdom of God completely touch and transform their life. Amen? Somebody, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter the lengths that they come from, Jesus is always willing to touch them. Jesus is always willing to transform them. Jesus is always willing to heal, to bless, to strengthen, to reveal his goodness because he is good. He is not a God that would choose to want to withhold things and make us jump through all kinds of hoops just to get to Him. No, 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 my friend. He is a merciful and He is a loving and He's a gracious and He's a generous and He is an awesome God. And these people that did not know Him now knew the goodness of who He was. The manifest glorious presence of God. The hand of God physically touching this woman's life. How glorious and how awesome is God. And Jesus, he holds us accountable to this one thing. To this one thing. The seed with which we've been given. The kingdom of God. Heaven's kingdom it must be sown it must be sown it's not a matter of your comfort it's not a matter of your ability to do so it's not a matter of your desire to even do it he has given us his word and his word is alive he's given us his kingdom and his kingdom is alive I can testify to this and I can tell you because this is the truth. I've seen God do a lot of things inside the church but I've seen the Lord do more things outside of the church. The reason why I share that with you is because the Lord wants you to go out there where the power is. Amen? He wants you to go out there to take what you learned here but to take it out there because somebody is dying. To take it outside of the walls of this church because somebody is in desperate need of hope to take it outside of the walls of the church because guess what? Somebody's in need of healing. You know what? There's ministries and ministers. I don't know if you've ever read about some of these uh, old-time revivalists and some of these old-time ministers back in the early 1900s, but Azusa Street and all these different things that God did at once in America, that God did upon the soil of this land. I believe the Lord is going to do them once again, but the church has to wake up to this and they have to understand. They have to have ears to be hearing and perceiving what the spirit is wanting us to do in this hour and that is to take the gospel and to take the king and his kingdom to the lost this has always been the father's plan it's never been about growing a church or growing a ministry or being part of a church as like in a club or anything like that but it's always been about taking the king to the world showing the world what humility looks like Jesus said in John 13 and 35, the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. You know that you love somebody that when you actually go to pray for them. Jesus spoke very clearly and he said this, he's like, what good is it to give to somebody that could bless you back? What good is it to pray for somebody that is, that is automatically gonna pray for you back? What was his point? His point was this, is to serve the world that he loves even if they can do nothing and give you nothing in return. That's what unconditional love looks like. There's no strings attached. When you take Jesus to your world, it's not about an attachment of saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus, but only if you come to my church. (laughs) How backwards is that? But yet that's what we do. Everybody just got a little uncomfortable. But are you understanding? Are we hearing? Are we perceiving? Why? Because his kingdom is the only kingdom that will never fade. This will fade. This building will fade. This will go down with the earth. But guess what? His word and his kingdom remains forever.